Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com. Now back to the show. Italian Wine Club. This is a weekly slot to 7 p.m. Central European time today as we are connected with Hong Kong as well as Italy. I'm actually calling in from New York today. I love the fact that we can actually do this, connecting the world literally. Uh, Next week, we will be back on our Thursday slot on 8 p.m. Central European time. Today, we are back with what I believe is the fourth installment of this series, Ambassadors Corner, where Italian wine ambassadors and wine lovers get a chance to interview their favorite Italian wine producer. It all starts Cynthia interviewing Alberto Tosca a few weeks back. Then Xiao Wen interviewed Elena Fucci, her inspirational winemaker. By the way, if you missed that, we, we've just dropped the episode on Italian Wine Podcast today. So check that out. It was a hot warming interview. I was in the podcast booth with Xiao Wen. It was very moving. So check that out. You'll, you'll learn a great deal, not just about Elena Fucci, but also Alianico del Vulture in, in general. Then last week, I was more or less the absent moderator. My apologies to everyone. I was actually trying to multitask and something had to give. Thank you, Joy, for filling in for me last week. And as you know, Joy is our super-duper Wonder Woman producer for Italian Wine Podcast. We'll give her some slack this week as she's somewhere in Croatia, I believe, I think. As you know, the entire month of August is practically on pause button for the holidays in Italy, but not us. I drive everybody crazy. We will still be bringing um, to you weekly calls on Italian Wine Club here at Clubhouse. After having listened to our call today, if you'd like to nominate and interview your favorite Italian wine producer, please ping me on Insta or reach out to Laika. She's our backstage club manager. You can see her on the first row. Which she's been doing a great job on Italian Wine Podcast Insta, um, Instagram account as well. So let me just do the housekeeping quickly. As usual, our gentle reminder um, is that this one, this room will be recorded and maybe replayed on Italian Wine Podcasts, or let's hope so, unless there are some snafus. While you're at it, we'd really appreciate your support if you can give a thumbs up and rate our podcast wherever you get your pods, whether it's, you know, podcasts on your iPhone or Spotify or SoundCloud, whatever. And, it, and if you'd like to make a small donation, because this is a labor of love, it's everyone is working very hard for this, even better. We've got two moderators today, or shall I say two ambassadors. I'm very pleased to present to you our guest moderators for our call today, Alice Wong, our what I call Fedelissima, Vinital International Academy ambassador from Hong Kong. She's an incredibly talented and smart woman um, in the wine world. Alice is a wine educator, wine writer, judge and consultant, and a brave soul. Um, She even managed to get herself to Italy in June. Of course, there was a small snafu with the the tests, etc. She was quarantined when she was back. Just very, very dedicated to the Italian wine community. And we are really grateful for that. She also manages um, wine events. 
Now she has become an uh, she became an ambassador in 2018, and she is primarily based in Hong Kong. So she works with many Italian government bodies to promote Italian wines in Hong Kong. And she, I, I believe, she had worked for um, the consortium of Alto Adige.、Uh, she was their ambassador as well, and. Also,、uh, she received the Hong Kong Living Influence Award in 2020 for her achievement in the food and beverage industry. So, very lucky to have her in our community and our call today. Ellen Kwok, her co-moderator, has a doctorate in chemistry, but on his bio,、uh, he prefers to drink wines with little chemical additives. I don't know what that means. I, I I suppose he will explain that to us later as we get it into the conversation. He's currently the master of Knights of Alba of Hong Kong delegation. So the, I guess does this mean you've taken over for JC? I, I suppose. Yes. It is, yeah. Okay. Great. Congratulations. And the latest addition to the Vitalian Wine Ambassador certification certified. Bonafide ambassador in from Hong Kong. So, okay, on to you, Alison Allen, and I will now shut up. Hello, Stevie. Good to、uh, hear from you. We are having a good time in New York. So, let me get I'm started. I'm in isolation because I、um, saw my nephew Monday, and they were both vaccinated.、Uh, they're twins, and they tested positive. So. I'm on day three. I actually will go do my PCR because on day three you're supposed to do it. I'm asymptomatic, but I've been isolated. So I'm in New York and doing a lot of Zoom calls. Oh my goodness! I hope you're I feeling、know. okay, and I、no, hope I the vaccination、know. helped. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine, but it's crazy this Delta variant. So take it away, Alice. All right, Stevie. So when I let me get started. When we first、um, hear that the Italian Wine Clubhouse is doing this ambassadors' corner and asks us to、uh, invite us to choose a producer to interview,、uh, and Ellen and I both first think about Steph.、Uh, so、uh, we thought that、uh, Steph Yim、uh, had a very interesting story to tell.、Uh, let me share my story first with with Steph. A couple of years ago, not, well, maybe four years ago,、uh, my dad came home one day. And told me that well, I had a dinner tonight, and I met with a wine producer, and we became friends. And he invited me to his winery in Italy, and I was like, "No way, Dad! I'm the one in the wine industry. You're not. How would you meet a wine producer that I've never heard of?" And um, and he went on and added extra information. I was born in Hong Kong, and he's a Chinese winemaker. I said, "No way! I've never heard of that. He must be joking with you." And then I left my and left that conversation. And a few months later, I met through other、uh, went through other friends who told me the same story, and that when that's when I realized it was true, and I found it interesting because over the over the years when I know Steph,、uh, every so often we will come across the same story that、uh, people wouldn't believe that there is a、um, Chinese winemaker in Italy, and so we thought it was quite a brave thing to do, and I imagine how the things he had to come across and overcome. To be successful in、um, promoting his winery,、uh, just like when I teach Italian wines, sometimes I would come across、uh, Italian students, and I got a feeling that they must be thinking, "Who am I to teach them Italian wines when I'm Chinese and very Italian?" So we thought it must be a very interesting story to listen to from Steph, how he overcome the cultural differences. Being a、um, foreigner, so to speak,、uh, in Italy and become so successful these days with all his wine portfolio in Italy, I don't think I don't think he understand or speak Italian that much when he first moved to Sicily. So that was the reason that we chose Steph today to be our guest、uh, because we want to listen not only to his um, his uh, philosophy in winemaking but also also the interesting story of. How he overcome all these things and differences、uh, to do well in his business, and、uh, let's Alan introduce more detail about Steph's winery. So hi everyone, on sale. So Steph actually、uh, was born in Hong Kong, and then he moved to LA to work as a sommelier, and then he never imagined to produce his own wine until、uh, 2009, and then I think he was in a blind tasting, and then out of ten wines he tasted. Two of them, he rent first and second are both from the volcanic soil. So he starts to look for like volcanic soil around LA, and then he found that in、uh, Lake 
Lake County. And he started to make wine part-time in Lake County before he moved uh, to Europe. And he made wine in France and also in the Canary Island. And then he was uh, looking for volcanic soil in uh, Italy. And of course, uh, as we know, there's not um, there's only a few places with a living volcano. And so he finally settled on uh, Mount Etna. And it was very brave of him to purchase uh, his own vineyard in 2014. And he started uh, to make the wines. And uh, the potential of it captured his heart. And the ideal to make wine, I think, in a natural way is uh, really the core in his winemaking. So as Stevie mentioned before that I have a doctorate in chemistry, but I'm very sensitive to chemical addition to the wines. Like I get really headaches uh, if there's too much too much sulfate in the wine. I care a lot about the vineyard, how they work with it, with uh, pesticides and herbicides. And I think uh, Steph will tell you more about this uh, regarding his uh, winemaking and so on. So I think let's hear the story from Steph. Hi there. Okay. Uh, hi guys, I'm Steph. I don't know where to begin. So basically, I I'm a winemaker. I'm making wine for the last twelve years, California, uh, southwest of France, and and now I'm in Sicily. I was a sommelier seventeen years ago. I started as a sommelier uh, back in LA. I worked my ass off, so I got burned thinking, you know, uh, making wine is a lot more fun instead of waiting tables. You know, here I am. You feel free to ask me any question. I don't know where <laughs> where do I begin. Yeah, Steph, why don't you tell us, I think Ellen mentioned 2014 is the, was the year when you started the winery. That's right. As a matter of fact, uh, 14, I haven't really started buying, buying the vineyards yet at that time. I bought some grapes and I started a trial as a trial. I want to see how, what's going to happen, test drive it a little bit. So that's how I got started. I was actually, I was working at that time in Madihon. Uh, Matihan is the place, is the region where I worked in France, southwest of France that I mentioned to you, uh, since 2012. And I stayed there for three vintages. And, but then when I was, when I got a chance coming over the Etna and I bought some grapes and I started to, uh, make some wines and just to see how it goes. And I, I've always been fascinated by Volcanic soil. So volcanic soil is very special to me. I, I think it's the most interesting soil, the most diverse, the most, in, in the sense that um, I'm talking about diversity of minerals compounds. So, well, Ellen knows what I'm talking about. So in, in the soil, you find a lot of different mineralities. So, so the minerals, they kind of play a very important part. So a lot of times that I, I believe I like mentioned before that when I was a sommelier, I taste, I taste a lot of wines. And uh, there are a couple of times because I, I belong to court of master sommelier at that time. So we had a lot of blind tasting meetings and stuff like that. And then a couple of times that I thought almost for certain that was Chambon uh, Mussini or is Chambon Chambartin. And, and it turned out to be a, a, a wine from Tenerife or from Etna. So it was like, I was totally intrigued. Uh, I would never imagined about anything <laughs> like, like that. In that time, of course, I didn't have a chance to expose myself to a lot of volcanic wines. So, but I was fascinated since then. And not until 2009, uh, when I got a chance to visit Mount Etna, I fell in love with that more. And the person that I first met was uh, Frank Connells, a Belgian guy making wine on my acne. So that, that, was, uh, that was a turning page for me. It really opened my eyes. Yeah, so uh, and then uh, a few years later, I was working in France just for a winery. I wasn't, I wasn't the owner. I wasn't the person in control. Uh, I was just working there. And uh, people tell me what to do. I'm, I, at that time, I was still learning a lot of stuff. And I was trying to, you know, pick up, like, uh, gain more experience in, into winemaking. So a couple of years later, uh, in France, I decided, you know what? Instead of, I kind of know a lot at that time. I thought I know a lot, but, uh, uh, of course, I'm still, like, learning and um, understanding a lot of things. But at that, a lot, at that time, I, 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 I had that moment like i really want to have my have a vineyard for myself where i can do whatever experiments that i want 
Uh, so because when I was working there, I was not allowed to experiment a lot of stuff. I was just doing the stuff I was told. So having a vineyard by myself, it gives me the, it gives me the, the freedom of making a lot of, lot of experiment and really uh, a lot of trial and errors. But I, I, I believe that that's what I wanted at that time. So once after I, I finished the job, I decide this is a way I got to find my own vineyard. So, Steph, uh, obviously, Ellen and I have tried your wines, but I'm not sure um, if the audience here have tried your wines. So why don't you talk a little bit about your wines uh, so we understand, and then you can, as you explain your, your wines, so we know what trial and error you have done. Well, I, I met a lot of people here at the beginning, just to understand the place and just to understand the soil, the, the grapes. The grapes here is called Nero Mascalese. Uh, for the white, it's called... Uh, Carcante and Catarato, and there, there are a lot of uh, a lot of white indigenous grapes. I pick up from people who has been here for a long time. I try to listen to what uh, I what I try to observe what what they're doing, and uh, for the first couple of years, first two or three years, because making wine in France is totally different than making wine in Sicily. The climate and everything, the soil, the practice, the, the tradition. Different training is different. So basically, I have to learn a lot from scratch. For me, the, the wine that I make, my my philosophy is to make a, a, a from the beginning is to make a wine as natural as possible. I don't want to put too much of uh, a chemical influence uh, interventions in wine. But that's my idea. Like until now, you know, I want to make a wine that be honest to the weather that particular year, the vintage and everything. So I don't believe you can uh, make the same wine year after year unless there's some certain uh, inventions. So basically, I, I work with the nature. I don't like, I don't like to, um, to, to make a wine just to cater a certain market, a certain palate for a certain people, certain critics. This is not my, my thing. It's not my my intention. So, and that's why it's better off at the beginning. I was thinking it's better off that I make my own thing. I do my own game. This is what I do. So, Steph, um, so for those who do not know, then uh, your winery is uh, called Shawa. It's uh, located at the northern slope of uh, Mount Etna in Sicilia. The reason why I named it Shawa, Shawa means, uh, actually, is Sicilian dialect. It means the lava road. Is a lava lava path. It's kind of like after eruption, the lava kind of runs down the hill and forms a road. So that's shock. And how many uh, bottles do you make a year? More more or less twelve to fourteen thousand bottles a year. Depends on the year. I like I said, I work with the nature. It depends what nature gives me. For example, for twenty twenty one, I have no idea how how many kilograms of grapes I'm gonna harvest. Because the weather could, could change uh, like all of a sudden uh, last minute. So I couldn't tell you. But the, the thing that I can tell you is we spent a lot of time to nurture the vines, the, the land, and we do everything we could to make the best out of the land, the vines. So with a lot of effort, I believe in order to make a good, real good wine, it starts from the soil. It starts from the vineyard, not in the winemaking process. That, that's what I believe, yeah. Can you tell us uh, how many uh, white wine do you make and how many red, red wine do you make? Sure. I make uh, one white and four reds. And the, the white is basically nine crews, uh, nine different contrade. In Italiano, si chiama contrade. Contrada means is almost like, it kind of like the French call it crew, but not as like, not as tiny as, not as definitive or not as small as the crew, but a little bit bigger. It's more, it's more like a climat. climat. It's like a climate. So each contrada has a different climat, if you want to mean. So to me, I think most intriguing thing for me is one of the reasons why I, I decided to buy a vineyard here at the first place because of the diversity of the microclimate, the or microclimate. So uh, I got nine of that, nine of the, because one of them is actually is kind of same right next to each other. 
So nine to ten venues that I got, and, uh, and they're all from a different location. So you have uh, some of the most famous contrada on Etna, like Tatache, Tachone, Shavanova, uh, Fredo de Mestro, Monte Dolce, and so on. But you decide to label your wines not according to the contrada, but according to the altitude, isn't it? And then uh, when I first start to drink like my Adler wines, then I have uh, the bottles from like Gache, and then he labeled his wine like quota six hundred or quota mille, but he stopped to do that, and then he went back to the single uh, like contrada bottling. Is there a reason why you decide not to name the wines like Adler uh, Rosso the uh, according to the contrada? Okay, yeah, it's a good question. It's a very good question. Because my vision, because uh, different people, has, they have different focus. Uh, I think Gracchi more focuses on the vineyard, a single vineyard, but I think that's maybe a, a little more easy to understand for a lot of people because the single vineyard is a general practice in Barolo, Burgundy, and all these places. But to me, as a matter of fact, up until 2017, I do make all the wines by single vineyards. It's just that I acquired over the years, for the last six years, I acquired more vineyards. And I decided, like, you know, I'm going to make a wine with balance based on the same altitude. You see what I mean? The microclimate. Even though, okay, let me put it this way. Even though the, the grapes are, are harvested from different vineyards. For example, my uh, 760 meters, by the way, I name my wine so the audience understand what I'm talking about. I name my wines based on the altitude of the vineyard. So, for example, the basic level of wine is called 760. So 760, basically, we make a, I make a wine uh, around the 760 meters about sea level. So we, we talk about meters, not feet, okay? Because that, that's a little bit different from States, they, uh, I think you, you use with feet there. So, but in Europe, we use meters. So, my entry level wine is called 760. So, the vineyard, they're, they're blend since 2018. I do a blend from two vineyards. Uh, one is called Crutachone, and the other one named Chardonnay uh, is the name of it. That means new lava. There's nothing to do with my the name of the wineries that you just heard. My wine is called Shab. This, this vineyard is called Shananova. Shananova means a new vineyard. It's just, just a name. So since 2018, uh, I blend two plots together during the final blending because uh, I think the soil is almost identical. It's exactly the same, as a matter of fact. They, they're about 40 to 50% uh, rocks and 30-some percent sands, sandy soil. And the rest are ashes on the topsoil. So the chanere is called uh, volcanic ashes. So these, um, so this composition are pretty much the same among these two. So I decided to blend together because the microclimate, they are very close to each other. They are only like three minutes away. And they're almost at the same altitude. One is 730, the other one is from 750 to 770. So and uh, when it rains, in touch, for example, if you get the humidity, the rain that happened in the Tachana, and you you have to you certainly got the rain in in Chardonnay. But prior to 2018, uh, like 2015, six, uh, uh, 15, 16, 17, I only make a single vineyard. There's another wine uh, a little bit higher. It's called 980. Name of the wine is called 980. Uh, as you can tell, that uh, is, uh, vineyards are situated at a much higher level. Uh, it's 980 meters. So uh, since 2018, the wine is blend the same proximities uh, from three different locations within the same proximity. One is Calcarana, uh, Monte Dolce, and Baba Beck. Again, they're, they're, they're pretty much the same, same microclimates. So, and the same type of soil it becomes more sandy the color changes a little bit and you find a little bit darker color uh, among all these three vineyards so it's quite interesting so it is along the strip of uh, quatamile quatamile means a thousand meters so there's a row on the mid-level of the mountain 
where um, you see all the vineyards uh, uh, along the way. So that's called the Quartemit, yes. So, Steph, is that the highest altitude one that you have, or you have something higher? Uh, no. No. Uh, so I got, like, from 760, considered the lowest, but it is not, not, definitely not the least quality. It's just that the vineyard I named it is just a little. It's just the altitude of the vineyard. So we have 980, and then we have another one's called 1,200 meters. And the 1,200 meters wine that actually coming from a single vineyard is called Contrada Nave, and that's the highest on Mount Etna right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's the highest. I believe this is the highest vineyard in Italy or even in Switzerland. I'm pretty sure for for red varieties. Huh? Uh, don't hold me back on, on that. I'm talking about uh, uh, red varieties, uh, commercially made uh, red variety wine that considers the highest in Europe. Uh, it's a thousand two hundred meters. Yes, so that goes into the bottles named thousand two hundred meters. So it's a single vineyard. Yes. So Steph, uh, can you tell us as you go up in the altitude, like what is the main taste difference? The main taste, okay. The higher you get, the more elegant the wine, the less tannins you have. Just to make it more simple to understand, but it doesn't jeopardize. We're not saying throwing away the, all the complexity and all that. It's just that you got more freshness in the in the wine when you have a high altitude. Grapes. And speaking about uh, the one of the reason why I came here in the first place is because of global warming. And I faced a lot of problems when I was working in France. There, there's a lot of heat, and uh, the vines, the, the plants are shutting down uh, in some years. Uh, so it was pretty bad from what I observed over the years. And I decided I don't want to make a wine like that. It's not my style. It's just personal opinion. So, um, I, it, it is, for me, is I love a wine that has uh, have the freshness. The freshness the, that got just transparency of the taste, the structure. Like, uh, so I, most of the time, to my experience, it's pretty hard for me to find that in the lower ground. In the lower lower altitude needs, so to speak. So, and that's why I reach out to a high altitude. So, so you mentioned earlier, right? The reason that you started your own winery is so that you can do some trial and error and find a way that you you really can show the wine without interventions, but showing reflecting that that vintage and the terroir. So, could you tell us uh, something that you have done, or some of the problems that you've uh, come with over time, and? Uh, what makes your wine different based on the natural winemaking that you've employed? Exactly what I just mentioned. The altitude really helps me to make the wine that I want to make. The, the style that I always stuck in my mind, how am I going to make a wine more delicate? But without sacrificing the structure, the complexity of the wine. Because a lot of times, well, if, if some of you, some of the audience are, are winemakers, they exactly know what I'm saying. Because um, you, you, it's pretty hard to juggle the weight, the body of the wine, the purity, the structure, and the transparency when you're in the wrong place. You know what? So in order to get that, you have to have the ideal conditions. And for my ideal condition will be to have a place situated in the high ground in order to achieve that. So that's the trial and error um, that I was talking about there. Because I wouldn't be able to find out until I actually have a vineyard in a high ground, you know, additionally, without like having my neighbors spraying on the vineyard with chemicals. And this is one of the few places that I could find in the world where in general in the neighborhood, people are not much into toxic chemicals like herbicide, pesticides and all that. So I fundamentally that really gives me uh, something to start with. And I'm able to ex experiment the fermentation from a different uh, altitude. I, I got to learn about the yeast because I work with natural yeast. I don't work with laboratory yeast. Uh, so for me, uh, I, I always been wanted to make a wine with more indigenous uh, microbes. 
So Steph, uh, can we can we say that uh, your wine are natural wines, and how would you define uh, natural wines? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can say whatever you want, just the name. <laughs> I just I I hate to give it a name, a name tag to a a product or a thing. You know, is like I don't want to like to be too cliche. Like everybody trying to say, oh, I'm organic, I'm bio, I'm natural, because there's there's been a natural wine movement for the last. Uh, 15 years and seems like the natural wine thing has become more and more popular and a lot of people like it, take advantage of that and use it as a selling point but I that's why I don't want to call it anything you know natural you can say it's natural this is, this is like that this is this is a wine from Edna this isn't it is a better word for it uh, is coming from me I would say it's an honest wine it's a wine that doesn't give you a headache if you have two bottles of my wine it definitely won't give you a it won't give you a hangover the next step. That, that's for sure. I think that's that's how you and Alan became best friends, right? Because he got headaches from that wine and then he drank yours and he's fine. So Steph, can you also tell us about your white wine? Because I know it is not made uh, the usual way, but you age, it, uh, you age it in a different way with a little bit of different intervention. Yes, yes. Uh, there's almost no interventions uh, at all. And basically, I like, like I said, uh, I like to play around with things in uh experiment quite a lot and uh, the white wine was was my very first attempt as a matter of fact for the last 12 years i only been making red wines i never i never made a white wine in my life until 2018 believe it or not and i it, it's a shame to say that but it's just that i don't want to make a white wine until when i was ready when i first settled down here i got a lot of chance to pick the white grapes but instead, uh, I decided not to do it in the early stage because I knew that at that time, I wasn't ready. I don't want to just make a white because I have to make a white white because everybody else got a white wine. I want to make a white wine when I'm sure, when I know, when I kind of know what I'm doing, when I kind of know which direction I'm going, when I kind of know the blueprint of, of the wine that I want to make. So this is the way that I, I do things. So uh, that's why I didn't make any white wine. But your white wine is a blend of uh, Cavalcante and um, Colorado, isn't it? But then uh, you see in the market, like a lot of people market uh, pure 100% Cavalcante. It's almost uh, always more expensive than a uh, blend. And then uh, you always, like, what is your take on that? Well, huh. I'm more like a pro-blend guy in terms of the... At Bianco, I I don't like uh, this is just my own palate. Actually, what does each grape variety gives uh, to the wine? Uh, so please explain what is in your blend first. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, I'm not very good at explaining things, but I, I do my best. So, like I said, I'm a pro blend guy on Atna Bianco, and I don't believe just my personal opinion. For a single a hundred percent carcante will do will will end up the a wine that I like you know it's just my personal taste it's nothing more than that just my personal opinion and I liked when I when I make a white wine like I said I wasn't ready and when I'm I went I don't want to make any white wine till I, uh, I was ready uh, because I taste a lot of single variety, uh, 100% Caricante wine is, I would say, very few of them that impress, just impress my, just my own palate. I'm not just representing the whole, you know, wine industry. Okay. Just my own, just my own opinion. And to me, I think the wine has more, it gained more complexity uh, from the beginning, from the nose to all the way to the finish when it is blend. It's kind of like the one, Karkante, the character is the Karkante is kind of a bit like Riesling in a way. A spiky acidity at the beginning is the, the greatest. Don't get me wrong though, is a fantastic grape. It is amazing, the grapes. It's, it has a very lovable character and the longevity is impeccable. And, uh, but it's just personally, I love to blend it to give it a little more color to it. It's like a paint around the way. I want to go just monotone. I believe this grape we're going to gain more dimensions when I blend it with the local, some other local varieties. For example, 
And what are the contrasts uh, of uh, where you source uh, the white scripts? Okay, the contrast is coming from four contrasts. Um, they're mostly uh, Tachone and uh, Kalana. And there's some other local varieties around uh, other Tubinites in Monte Dolce. And how old are the wines? Uh, they are, they range from like 17, 18 years all the way to like, uh, geez, some of them are like over 80 years. Yes. And some of them are close to 100. Few, few of them are close to 100. So the blend that I, that like for example, 2018, the, my white wine is called the Aqua de Luna, means the water from the moon or moon water, however you want to phrase it. These are the blend of 62, 64% of Carcante and then 25 to 28. I, I can't really give you exactly because we do topping sometimes. So it, it will be a lie to tell you like what exactly the, the percentage of grapes. Like uh, from an outsider, then we always think of uh, the best white wine from Esna would come from the eastern slope, like uh, from Orambilo. Uh, what is your take on that? No, it's not true. Uh, well, to me, it's not true. Well, well, people can say whatever they want. It's just that to me, it uh, uh, you know, on the east side, is in general, you got a lot more more humid, humidity. It's, it's more more rain there most of the time and it's a bit cooler uh, some hours during the day and and has a lot of people has been cultivating white grapes there because white grapes as you know it doesn't it, they don't require as much as sun exposure as the red so it will be more ideal to have uh, to plant white varieties over on the east exposure you know, that's not uh, rocket science, not because of the soils are more suitable for, for white grapes. It's just the weather it tends to be this way, intrinsically. Uh, so that's why uh, people from way, way back when they decided that it is more this part of Etna facing the east is more suitable for white varieties. Okay. And uh, speaking about like the the wine, I, I just want to finish talking about the uh, the white wine that I'm uh, that I make. And so um, the rest of the blend, so I do like sixty some percent of Carcante and twenty some percent of uh, Catarato, uh, another indigenous grape. And then there are some uh, uh, Garganica, like Isabel uh, uh, Dorado, uh, Garganica. Yeah. And there's some Minella. Bianco and other local grapes in Sicily. You find a lot on northern part of Sicily. So, um, so is it, it, it's by blending all these grapes together, I kind of get the 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 chemistry that I want, so to speak. So, Seth, um, obviously, Ellen and I have tried your wines. How can uh, where else do you have uh, your wines? Do you, can you try and do you sell them locally in Italy and also overseas in the U.S.? Yes, we do. Okay, in in Sicily mainly, or all over Italy? Uh, all over in Italy now. Yes, it's just uh, we just started. Uh, at the beginning, we only got market uh, in Japan, Hong Kong, and a little bit in Germany. So now we uh, kind of branch out to the whole Italy, and uh, hopefully in uh, hopefully in a few weeks it's gonna be all over in Switzerland. Yes. So how 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 was it like when you first went there? You didn't speak much Italian. Was the environment welcoming, supportive, or was it skeptical about what you're doing there? Yes, yes, mm, zero. It, well, I just learned along the way. I didn't go to school. I didn't read a book about it. I just talked to the workers. I think that's the best best way. When you're the little kid, you don't speak any language, right? <laughs> so it's just like you know, when people speak to you, you speak to them. You try to get out. You try to pick up whatever you can. I'm not trying to be a linguist or anything. But it's just, as far as as far as the work goes, is enough for me to to you know. My body language is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of helps a lot, uh, but you know, Italian we do a lot of body language, so they kind of understand what I mean. Even though I don't speak, I didn't speak Italian at that time, but um, yeah, yeah, um, it, it, no, they're very welcoming. The people here very friendly and 
I drive every friend. Yes. So that helps a lot. And I was like, I met some people who speak uh, some, a little bit of English. So it helps a lot too. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's that, uh, that difficult as long as, you know, you, you, you just tag along, you know, you, you do whatever you need to do. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's not, uh, but sometimes it could get quite, uh, frustrating. When you try to explain people what you want, and uh, but even now, <laughs> even now, not not just from the beginning, you know, we we have we're coming from a different culture. Uh, the is totally the opposite end. So uh, I grew up in the states. So you know, we we I grew up in California. So there there are lots of like we you know we we're pretty uh, uh, you know. Uh, to the task most of the time we we, 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 we do things based on our gender and we, we very systematically that's what at least this is what I was raised the way that I was raised but then here is the opposite it's kind of different alright Steph let me ask you one more question before we open up um, to the audience um, so in terms if, if we have other people in the audience in the future that want to do business in Italy and want to start a winery and someone coming from Asia with the same similar background uh, what would be the one piece of advice you give based on your own uh, experience well well um, first of all I don't know what kind of advice to give is this just it depends on the person. I wouldn't. What well, there's something I wouldn't recommend is if, if people are coming here to make a wine because because this is just uh, for an act of show. It's just a, an act of show, uh, just for business, just to you know, just to or, or people that want to buy a winery because it it, it's, it looks good or sound or sounds good, you know some. Like I wouldn't recommend it because if you run into people want to invest in the vineyard, they should, you know, really devote themselves into it. Like not just the investment, not just uh, a, a, a toy, so to speak. And so, Steph, uh, if I want to buy a vineyard at like Shavanova, uh, how much is it now? Oh no, I right now is nothing available as far as i know and uh i, I don't know what's the price right now to be honest with you i bought it five years ago and it was uh, relatively cheap at that at that time but maybe right now is uh, over 200 a hectare uh more or less 200 200 a hectare right now yeah okay let's uh take some questions from the audience if there's any uh, we we have two guests who would like to ask questions. So, uh, Jiro, why don't you start? <laughs> Hi, Jiro. Good to hear from you. I'm from, uh, well, I live in Boston, but I'm from Salerno. Oh, oh okay. Um, so, yeah, so Campania. But uh, uh, anyway, two points I found very fascinating. One, the fact, I love the fact that you're not tagging yourself with one word to describe the way you make your wines. Thank Secondly, you. Secondly... The fact that the whites you blend, which I, in my opinion, um, and it's my experience, same thing. I feel like when they're 100% caricanta, there's something missing there. Yes. But again, that's my basic experience. But my question actually is about the Contrade, because uh, as we draw a parallel with, um, you know, like Barolo, Barbaresco, any, any of these other areas, yes, obviously mm -hmm. some are more relevant vineyards than others. Mm -hmm. But... The point is, I feel like at the end of the day, when you talk to Barolo producers on that end, they always feel like uh, the ones that are blended, they tend to be always the most balanced rather than the single vineyard expressions, which, yes. you know, can be great. Like, uh, is that something you feel the same way in yes. uh, uh, Edna? Yes. Although you make a single vineyard wine. No, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, to me, there's a... Um, uh, how, how am I going to put it? It, it? There's a certain aspect to it. Okay, there's a yes and no. All right. Um, as long as uh, why I blend them together and why the people, some of the producer in Barolo, they rather blend the wine together instead of having a single vineyard. And I believe, based on my experience, because we have this, as long as it's the same soil, as long as you're able to find that the whatever, how many vineyards you're going to, any particella, any parcel from, different area you're going to plant together. As long as the soil are the same, 
to me, huh? Because if they, if your soil is different, like for example, let me point out a, a very good example. For the 760 vineyard, uh, it's called Tachon. This piece of land has a lot of rocks. It contains like almost 50% of rocks in the soil. And the rocks in general, it helps the, 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 the water uh, with less retention. So after the rain in general, the, the land tends to be more dry. And it tends that, um, and, the, uh, and the rocks, the volcanic rocks act as, as a heater, as a absorbent uh, during the day from the heat, and it releases the heat during the night. So it's kind of like a, like a heater, like a vector um, that absorbs the heat during the day. And this kind of soil, kind of similar to the rocks over in Chateauneuf du Pape. And I wouldn't like to blend this kind of wine because this kind of, uh, this kind of wine in general will, you, you will have more suppleness. You, it tends to develop more tannins in the, in the wine. So I wouldn't want to blend this wine with uh, a wine with the more, uh, uh, more sandy soil. Because sandy soil has more uh, 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 water retention and is more moisture in the land, and the the, the grapes it tends to be more elegant in a way. So if you blend that, it's like a a, a, a crash. It, it, it doesn't really work. It's like a yang or yin. Like the two things doesn't really collide together. You you know what I mean. Like, like they, they don't really, really have has the harmony when they're together. That that's just my trial and error. That's what I what I understand. I'm Laika. All right. So for me, I have a question. First of all, I'm so happy to um, be able to talk to you. Yeah. So I wanted to, I'm kind of curious, like, what have you learned about the changing consumer taste in in mm. wine? And are you developing better wines to adapt to, um, to their <laughs> taste? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm already making a very good wine. So I wouldn't say I'm going to go any better. It's just it depends on the year, and like I said, uh, I'm making an honest wine, and I just do whatever I can to make the best out of the year, uh, what God has been given uh, in that particular. So sometimes, to me, I, 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 I already started in a very like very advanced like uh, I, I didn't just come here to. To making wine, to just to learn about like you know how to make a better wine. It, it's just that I already got a blueprint in my mind or what, what, what think how things gonna go. It's just that I have to adapt to that that tradition, the way they work here, the way they work in the vineyard. Because like most of ninety percent of my 80, 80 to eighty five, I wouldn't say ninety. Let me rephrase that. So eighty. To 85% of my uh, vineyards, they are uh, Alborello. So Alborello is the type of a training system, uh, uh, in France, they, I think they call it the Goblet, the Goblet. And, and in here, some in America, I think it's, it's uh, like a standalone, uh, piece of vines. There are no line training, nothing. It's not like a, Gone or it's not like a, you know, so Gaillot is basically a standalone uh, vine. We call it the Alborello. So these, I have to learn the pruning from scratch. That's the only thing that I have to really to pick up. You know, to 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 learn how am I going to prune? Because pruning is a is is the most important work. It's one of the most important works. Uh, in, in, in winemaking, in viticulture. Because this is the time how you control your yield is the time how you control, uh, a lot of things. I, I don't want to go deep into tactics. But, um, so to answer your question, uh, like I, I'm not catering a certain market. So I wouldn't say I'm gonna, you know, I'm not trying to make a wine that you know, the market's not, and let me put it this way. The market's not going to change how I'm going to make it. 
this is the way I know I'm, I'm going to, the way that I'm going to make one. I knew it right from the beginning. I just have to prove it. I just have to experiment. This is the way that I, I do think it's not because I could sell a lot more in China or in Indonesia or Singapore or in Germany or in England. So I have to make a wide taste for certain critics. You know, you see what I'm, you know, that I will leave that job to someone else. It's just not me. And it's not my gig. It's just that I'm doing a wine that will speak for itself. The originality is very important. Every single year, I'm thinking about how am I going to tell the story of this particular year of the vintage? This is what I care for. I don't care anybody else. I don't care the score. I don't care what. As long as you taste my wine, you know the wine is from Etna. It's not from, from Toscana. It doesn't taste like uh, Chianti or, or Super Tuscan because a lot of people enjoy that 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 kind of that kind of palate that maybe for a certain region for a certain market. But it's just that I I would rather do like what I want to tell the story. I want to introduce to people what really Edna tastes like. So uh, thank you, St- uh, Steph. So I think uh, let's call it a night and really thank you and uh, it's a really fascinating story and we look forward to drinking uh, more vintages and see how your wines develop. Yeah, thank you very much guys. Uh, happy to hear. It's my honor and uh, to hear from you again. Thank you Stevie. I appreciate your your uh, your your job and uh, your effort put into that. And thank you very much for like her uh, <laughs> to uh, go through all that technical trouble earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I have the diehards online, so I just want to remind you that I've published uh, the next few episodes of the Italian Wine Club, especially the Ambassador's Corner. So coming up, I see Paul. I, I, I did see Paul Bologna. He's, he's up next week, Massimiliano Brambilla. And then the week after that, on the 19th, we have Gianluca Querolli with Stefano Chiarlo. The week after that, on the 26th, we have Jody Holman with Enrico Della Piano. And then wow. we have Cynthia Chaplin with Ilaria Takis. Of course, Ilaria is the daughter of the Giacomo Takis. She actually has a winery, so Cynthia will be talking about that. And then Hugh Priest comes with the big name Ariana Occhipinti, and that's on the 9th of September. Wow, there you go. A lot, a lot of nice stuff going on yeah, at a pipeline. So, um, yeah, cool. So that's it for now. And that's wonderful. Goodbye, and arrivederci. See you next week. Arrivederci. the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through ItalianWinePodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.